We are talking about the latest film, the first film to be released in 2020 on a grand scale and starring Nicolas Cage. We're talking about the adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space by director Richard Stanley. Look at this. All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living the dream. Maybe it is a dream. light or actually i don't even know what color it was it wasn't like any color i'd ever seen before looks like a meteorite i mean it's radioactive i mean it's from space right meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks how can something that big just disappear did you plant those no ward you come here for a sec oh god what are you doing? Shh. He's talking to me. Who's talking to you? A man in the well. It's in the static, it's in the moisture. It's in here, it's out there. And what's out there is in here now. Everything's under control. Why are you so in denial? That thing from the meteorite changes everything around it. Are you a fan of the Richard Stanley? I'm not very familiar with his works, to be honest. You never saw Hardware? Uh-uh. Hardware's a very good one. There's some good aesthetics to that and good character designs, good creature designs. The the cyborg that is most known from that movie, it's kind of futuristic. I actually think it takes place in the same universe as Judge Dredd. Okay. I might I might have that wrong, but I feel like the characters in that exist within the Judge Dread comic book universe. What is it called? Like AD 2029 or something along those lines? Sure. <laughs> I'm not very familiar with that. I don't know. It's You're like not a- big on the the third party comic book companies? Uh it depends on the on the comic. This looks cool though. I'm looking at images from it. It's, what is it, like a cowboy cyborg thing? Well, Dylan McDermott, I believe, is the star of that movie. And it it has this Blade Runner-esque feel to it. The hallmark cyborg of that movie is like a little beady droid thing that has an American flag printed or tattooed to its head. Which, oddly enough, they got rid of that American flag in a lot of the foreign releases of the DVD of hardware. And then he just looks like a boring android. I don't know why they would do that. Terrible people. What, so they just, what, painted over it? No, it's just gray. It's just gray. But in the movie, it's not gray at all. It's an American flag. <laughs> I guess That's the... what makes it look cool. Okay. What were you going to say? <laughs> no, no, no. That's just, like, I, I'm, I'm really not familiar. I, that name sounds very familiar, Richard Stanley, and it's probably because of just, you know, hearing, mentioning it, and also I, when I was doing a little bit of research about this movie, there was a big deal about the fact that he was coming back, or this was like his comeback film, right? Yes, I believe back in the 80s, he paid a boy to get naked and took photos of him in a trailer. Why is it always... <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's always so, Sorry, wait, like hold this. on. No, 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 no. It's, uh, that's the... I think that's the director of Jeepers Creepers. Yeah! <laughs> Yeah, that's fucking Salvio, whatever his name is. Uh, 
That that also is the uh, the, the story of the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. What, mm-hmm. what is his name? Jeffrey Jones. Yep, an iconic man with an iconic mustache. He hasn't worked since. So so Richard Stanley just what well, he just quit making movies then. He got very yeah. discouraged, and this, this comes back to the documentary that I suggested to you. This this mm-hmm. movie I checked out on Amazon Prime right now, free on Amazon Prime. Uh, a documentary called Lost Soul, and this came out around the time where movie documentaries were really big, especially unmade movie documentaries. I think the reason why they popped off is because of Jodorowsky's Dune, right? which back in the day when I was doing other stuff and I was interviewing the top celebrities, and I, I tried to get the director of that movie, and he was like, I promise you, we will do this interview, but I can't right now. I'm fixing my computer, and that interview never came about. Can you believe that? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> So the, yeah, this, this is this, this Jodorowsky's Dune documentary is great though. It is, it's, yeah. It, it's got Refn in it. It's got uh, all all the hits really. You see all the character designs and the the uh, uh, like ship designs, planets, etc., and all these wild ideas that Jodorowsky had for this movie that never came about. But all the, a lot of a lot of the ideas and concepts wound up being recycled into other science fiction films like Alien. Star Wars and yeah, all of these big franchises today. Do you and know think, if he's given? Do you know if he's given his blessing to this new Dune movie that they're making? I I don't even know if he's really aware of it, but I do know that Denny Villeneuve is using some of that material mm. for the movie. They were planning an animated film for a while that was going to be based off of Jodorowsky's script and and some of those costumes and characters that he had sketched by. Uh, what is his name? H.R. Geiger? Yeah. Who designed the alien. He was in charge of a lot of that. So, I mean, something like that could be interesting. I would hope that a good portion gets carried over to Denny Villeneuve's Dune, but you would have to assume with somebody like Denny Villeneuve especially that he's going to want to do his own thing, to a degree, anyway. It's it's interesting, though. It's a, it's a cool story. It's nuts, like, uh, watching that documentary. I, I've been aware of the... Um, David Lynch movie, but I've never actually seen it. Um, but I, I didn't really know that it was connected to so much shit that Jodorowsky actually did until watching that documentary. And and watching that, it makes you even uh, a little bit angry with how passionate he is and how much work he's putting into it. And then producers are just like, yeah, let's just give this to someone that doesn't really care about it that much. David Lynch's Dune is an interesting case study because it's really the only movie he made where it's like intended to be a franchise or a big summer blockbuster, but he does his own thing with it. It was between that and mm. return of the Jedi. And he wound up doing Dune instead because that was unmined to that point. I don't even, <laughs> I, I, I think he had said too, that he didn't even read the book. Like he, he didn't really ha- like same with Jodorowsky who just bought the name based on the idea he had in his head of it alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Lynch, I don't think, was very familiar with the material before signing on to do that. And it turned out to be, he's, in his opinion anyway, his greatest failure. He tried to take his name off the finished product and do it in Alan Smithy, which wound up going through for, I think, some of the TV versions of that. But ultimately, his name is attached to that. And it is very much a David Lynch movie. You have Kyle MacLachlan as the lead. There's so there's so much weird stuff and weird choices. It's it's David Lynch's birthday as we're recording this, by the way, and he released a short yeah. film onto Netflix. Did you watch that? Not yet. No. What's it called? What did Jack do? Yeah, it's interviewing a monkey. It's him interviewing the type of monkey you see briefly in in one uh, subliminal sequence in Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me. I like posting that monkey every so often on Facebook. Mm. But you know, we got to get back to Richard Stanley. So. Back in 2013, Jodorowsky's Dune comes out, and it is followed up by a similar film called The Death of Superman Lives, directed by the late John Schnepp, who was really the only likable person on the entire Collider panel, and that is why the show is dead now, currently, why they're doing new exciting ventures, or, or whatever, whatever, however they describe it, <laughs> scripted programming. Yeah, I would love to see what uh, John Campia and what's his name, Roca, who 
obsess over lightsabers have in mind for scripted material. Sounds great. The death the death of Superman <laughs> lives comes out. I have what? no fucking idea who you're talking about. Isn't Collider a website? <laughs> I'm so out of out of this whole internet like creators bubble of it. Every you're time old. you mention you're just, shit you're like, old now. Yeah, you fell asleep twice yeah. during this movie we're talking about. <laughs> you decided to break and take a nap twice yeah, for the color out of space. So yeah. These 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 are things that happen with time. So it's like I I want to dunk on these people too. I just don't know who they are. <laughs> they're not even worth it. They're they're going to be unemployed shortly. So The Death of Superman Lives comes out does the same idea as Jodorowsky's doing. It's like this is a crazy movie. Yeah. It almost happened, and they get Tim Burton, they get Kevin Smith. I, I don't think they got Nicolas Cage for the interview, which is unfortunate. And it's a pretty good documentary. And yeah. then other people decided to do documentaries on movies that did come out. And you see a Pet Cemetery documentary that honestly is not very well done. It's by a guy who actually has an It documentary coming out this year, but... Ugh. That's poorly timed, in my opinion. You, it would have been great to sandwich it right between the two movies yeah. where people were still high on it. And I feel like It Chapter 2 really murdered all the buzz around the It series. Do you think they were thinking of doing a Stephen King shared universe? Sure. Yeah. Because that has to be that. After that Pet Cemetery movie that was boring and slow and this It movie, I still haven't seen it. But again, it, it didn't it didn't get the hype that the first movie did. So I'm assuming it's not as good. And you you told me it was not as good. You can uh, just observe the energy around these things. I don't think like yeah. And you you added that caveat when we were talking about the Oscars. Like you don't know really any of the fine details of these movies because you haven't watched them. But I still think you don't even need that so much as you can. Uh, guesstimate what 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 the feeling about these things are and what the reaction is and what the future of them might be just based off the vibes that surround them because uh also with dr sleep that was another bomb we yeah and weird questionable timing i guess i i wouldn't expect that to be released close to christmas but if they were thinking of doing a, a shared universe and pacing them like that would make sense if that wasn't a, a piece of shit that just died, <laughs> died. Uh, and also, you know, how underwhelming the other movies, uh, the other Stephen King related movies that, that came out have been. That's probably a dead idea now. And, and hopefully they'll stop making his stories into movies because they just don't translate. And I think there's enough uh, examples of this where it's like enough, like it's time. Let's stop it. Well, with with The Shining, at least, I know firsthand that they were trying to shop a Shining miniseries around. But we know for a fact now, we didn't talk about this. We never did a follow-up podcast to Dr. Sleep after we kind of broke the news that this was a turd. No one else was talking about it in those <laughs> terms. We were the first ones. And then eventually people started to catch on. And then if, eventually the director, Mike Flanagan, caught on and blocked at least me and, me and you, and, or was it me and Jake? I'm not, I don't remember. Did he block you? Check. I think he might have blocked you. You always get blocked. If you're the lone survivor here, then that's that's kind of twisted. I, Jerry got blocked as well eventually. Oh, no. He I came think, out the gate. I think I did. Get, oh, no, I didn't. Wait. Whoa. whoa. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not him. Hold on. It's Mike Flanagan. Yeah, if he's not showing on my thing, it means I'm probably blocked, right? Yep. Yeah, because I remember, I remember that I quoted... I quoted his uh, thing saying that it was not productive or whatever, like the the um, negative discourse around his movie or some shit. And I just quoted it and changed it to, you know, Dr. Sleep. Like, I just added Dr. Sleep to his words and then I got blocked. Yeah, I told him he, he committed the worst atrocity in, in film. <laughs> Jake said something. Jake was trying to antagonize him. And Jake wound up in a conversation with Mike Flanagan. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Jake had his tweets rated by Mike Flanagan, where he was like responding to him and trying to talk him out of his opinions because he seemed somewhat reasonable compared to you and I. Oh, yeah, I'm blocked. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just checked. So we oh. had that happen. But what I was trying to get to was if this Dr. Sleep movie had been a success, we would have gotten a Dick Halloran movie, a spinoff movie. And this movie could have been the key 
that would create what you're talking about, a Stephen King shared universe, because Warner Brothers owns the rights to everything The Shining, and they own the rights to It. Dick Halloran is in It. And there was a scene that was apparently cut from It or It Chapter 2 that took place at the Black Spot, where it's a black bar in the 1920s or 30s, and Dick Halloran hangs out there, and he's in the book. That could have been the launching point. But because this Dr. Sleep movie underperformed greatly, I don't think that's going to happen now. I think we dodged a big, huge bullet. But honestly, uh, if you think about it, uh, even you know before Eat came out, uh, what was Carrie? Carrie came out, and that was a, also a bomb, right? The remake of Carrie was not very successful, no. So is it is it just that It was very successful, and then on the back of that is how these other movies because i like what what other movie based on on his shit uh that netflix one right there's a netflix movie that was based on his thing there was one called i i think the title is 1917 that was actually very good and it was released the same year as it the first one there was also a third one that was released that was not not as good and then everything after that i mean it, it's been a pretty big couple of years for stephen king Something came out in 2018 that I'm I'm not remembering. Um, a series, maybe. Under the Dome. <laughs> Under the Dome. Do you ever see that? <laughs> I'll tell you what. That fucking show. I tuned into Under the Dome for the first episode because I had read the book and I liked the book and it reminded me of old school Stephen King because everybody will tell you after his accident, his writing changes in a weird way, in a negative way. But Under the Dome had felt like one of those old 1980s novels that he had put out. So I tuned into that, and they completely butchered that book. Anything that CBS does that is scripted is bound to be cancer. It is, it is atrocious. It's unwatchable. Yeah. And Dean Norris, like, that was his fallback right when Breaking Bad ended. That, that was terrible. That was a poor choice. That killed it for him, right? What is he doing now? Well, here's the thing with television. I think as long as you're on a TV show... People grow accustomed to you in a certain role. You're kind of dooming yourself. Like even even Brian Cranston has struggled to really get work and define himself outside of that series. I mean, he did some movies. He was in Argo, but for the most part, what is he doing now? He's doing like an Amazon series where he plays the bad guy, Aaron Paul. That's a sad, that's a very depressing case where he can't really do much of anything because he's always going to be Jesse Pinkman. What do you mean? I mean, he did uh, Need for Speed. That was very good. But then also the thing with him is that that character was perfect for him because he's like a little dude with like those bug eyes. And so he could he could play the Elijah Wood roles. But casting him as an action star, that's when it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. I don't really believe him as a threat to anyone but himself. So that that's probably not the, the, the right uh, career path, and that's what I, I guess they were trying to do with this Need for a Speed movie. I have no idea what else he did after that. What do you What do you mean, Elijah Woodrolls? You're saying he should do like a flipper movie? Yeah, just like the little, you know, little creep. <laughs> he just plays a little creep that it's likable for whatever reason, but you know, he's got those eyes <laughs> that you never know. Well, you know that Elijah Wood produced this movie we're going to be talking about tonight, Color Out of Space. His company, I believe the the name of it is Spectre Vision. They also, I think, may have produced Mandy. And this this film has the same editor as Mandy. It did seem like there was a weird trace of that going into this movie, aside from the Nicolas Cage element, obviously. It has a similar feel at times. I don't know if that has to do with the editing or the way it was shot, but at times it kind of felt like you were watching that. I completely agree. Also, I... I Oh, go ahead. I, I found out that, that uh, one of my friends was second unit director for this, uh, Jonas Govart. I don't know how. I still don't know how. I've, I've talked to him, but I don't know how to pronounce his last name. So if that's wrong, sorry. But apparently he did second unit director for this. So that's pretty cool. Great. He's going to be fired after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to my boy. <laughs> He's doing music videos right now in Belgium. Where did they film this movie? I have no idea. Oh, well, it takes place in, in Massachusetts. Good old, good old Mass. Well, there was a documentary that came out 
in, I think it was 2015 or 2016, called Lost Soul, which was about the island of Dr. Moreau. Mm -hmm. It was an H.G. Wells book. And that got adapted. And I vaguely remember this movie from the mid-90s because I remember the advertisements and I was big on Batman. Love Batman. Val Kilmer, he's the worst Batman in the entire uh, canon of WB films. But I was looking into what else Val Kilmer was doing. I wasn't very familiar with him. He did The Saint. That was another big mid-90s movie. <sighs> yeah. Saw that everywhere. It was just his stupid mug with like a blue filter over it on the Spike, video box. Spiky hair. Yeah, spiky blonde hair. And the other one was The Island of Dr. Moreau, which toted both him and Marlon Brando as the stars. And Richard Stanley, this was his passion project. He had been trying to get this rolling for a minute. New Line Cinema greenlights it. And everything that could have gone wrong went wrong with this movie because of the two people that he cast, Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer, both of whom are notoriously difficult to work with. And in this case, especially Val Kilmer. So Val Kilmer's brought in after the fact, okay? Stanley, he has a good rapport with Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando, who refuses to memorize lines. In Superman, he had <laughs> the lines written on the baby's diaper. And he was just reading the lines off the diaper while being filmed. And then there's a there's a movie from the 90s as well. I forget the name of it. He's sitting down in every scene because he refused to wear pants to the set. <laughs> he would show up in his underwear. And he also, he would do things like, I demand to eat in every scene. I want, and because he, he, he's just Marlon Brando. He's an icon, a legend. And you can't say no to him. Good for him. Get I don't those. see why Jack Nicholson doesn't do that now. I'm, he's probably not there mentally anymore. So that's probably why, you know, he doesn't know if he should be reciting the lines or not shitting his fans. Get, have you seen the photos of him at like Lakers games now where he's yeah. excessively wide and he's like at his pants halfway down and he's living the life, dude. He still goes on like boats with hot young women, even though he probably doesn't even know what the fuck's going on. And just with alcohol and he's just old and just fucking living life. <laughs> Good for him. He's the best. Yeah. He's, he's the king. No one is better than Jack Nicholson. But Marlon Brando would do this. He would show up and he would act in this manner. But he liked Richard Stanley. He was he was cool with Richard He respected him. It was very difficult to get his respect because he had dealt with so many Hollywood types. Mm -hmm. You know, this is an unheard of. There are certain actors in Hollywood, certain filmmakers in Hollywood who just don't vibe with the traditional Hollywood type and will go out of their way to not give any effort, to just treat it like a payday, as they maybe should, collect their, their check at the end of it, yeah. and then that, that's it. They don't do any promotion, nothing. Mickey Rourke is one of these guys. Mickey Rourke is difficult to work with if he does not respect you, if he thinks you're in it for the wrong reasons. He, he, he gets very fed up with the system and lashes out at the directors and the producers, whoever is hiring him, essentially. Uh, Vincent Gallo has been shunned well, he, he, he put himself in exile for similar reasons. He just he, he doesn't want to have to deal with uh, people in that business or the public that eats up whatever they put out. So Marlon Brando is one of these guys, but he respects Richard Stanley. They have a good rapport on set, and the movie is going to go underway. And it, whatever problems are going to arise, they're not going to be from Marlon Brando. But they still have one big role to cast, and they get one of the biggest stars... In the world at that time val kilmer and val kilmer he's a creep and he went out of his way to try and alpha the director <laughs> on every decision there's a scene i think they were talking about in the documentary where richard stanley literally just wants to do like a panning shot of one of the actors and it's not a panning it's probably something else equally as simple i'm paraphrasing here he just wants to do a certain kind of shot of one of the actors very simple val kilmer goes yeah that's not going to work. <laughs> and then he just refuses to do the scene until Ugh. there's some, like he's Ugh. one of those guys. Ugh. He did something where he just decided in the middle between, between doing takes, he just held his lighter up to some guy's ear and started burning it, started burning <laughs> his ear. I, they described him as a prep school bully in this documentary. It's very easy to believe everything based off of, uh, you know, lore surrounding Val Kilmer. Yeah. Well, this was Top Gun, Val Kilmer, right? It was about 10 years after Top Gun. Oh, was it? Yeah. Shit, okay. 
This was right after Batman Forever, I believe. So 96, 97. He's coming off the heels of what was really like the, the, the one of the biggest movies of the year, one of the biggest movies of the decade. It saved the Batman franchise because they thought that they had gone too dark with Batman Returns. <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. And he had all this arrogance. He had all this ego. And he knew that he could just push people around. So Val Kilmer doesn't like Richard Stanley. Then what happens is Marlon Brando's child dies. Marlon Brando excuses himself from the set. And during that time, New Line Cinema socially engineers a situation in which they have to fire Richard Stanley. So they bring in John Frankenheimer instead. And the movie just falls apart from there. So Richard Stanley's very butthurt about this experience, and understandably so. They, they try to fly him off the island. He doesn't even leave the island. He just goes into hiding and then comes back as an extra in a costume and films the movie with them. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that documentary. I was, uh, everything you're saying sounded familiar, and I was like, I've seen this before, but now that you mentioned that, uh, what do you think? Okay, sorry, let, let me just finish, and then I'll ask you. No, go ahead. What, what is the question? Like, I, it, it's curious because uh, I, I've watched that movie and after I saw it after after that documentary and I remember that, yeah, it's a mess, but it, it's not something that couldn't be fixed. Like, I, I'm, I'm surprised that no one's tried to do it in modern day where every issue that they had would be, you know, resolved easily with modern technology, I guess. Uh but that that movie just ended there, like that that story. Like, I have they ever tried to do it again? Do you know? Most of, if not all, of H.G. Wells' works are in the public domain. Oh, so there would really be no reason not to, especially because of what you're saying. A lot of that could just be resolved, and I'm not advocating for CGI, but it could be fixed with CGI. You want to do monsters or something? That that's that's so simple to do. <laughs> oh fuck. The monsters of that movie. <laughs> it's great. Apparently, it's in production right now. They're the the writer for the okay. The creator of Sleepy Hollow, the series on Fox, is writing. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> it's writing this island of Doctor Moreau, but it, it seems to be like a, a TV TV production, TV movie. I don't know. It's very vague in development, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's that guy. So I'm not I'm not excited about it. I just think I just think that the the idea is interesting and and it could easily be done. Maybe not easily, but not with as many issues as this movie had because of the time and you know equipment, how uncomfortable everything was. And wh where was it shot again? It was somewhere in New Zealand. I'm I'm fairly certain. Uh, but well, and it's understandable why this movie would be difficult in the '90s again before CGI. Nowadays, you would just have a couple of people in bodysuits with a little dot here and a dot there, and yeah. then you have your monster. In this time period, when they're making this movie, you're wearing probably 100 pounds of makeup and mm -hmm. rubber bodysuits, and you're out in the middle of New Zealand in the summertime. Australia is in Australia. It's almost been 30 years to do The Color Out of Space, which is just called Color Out of Space. And it stars Nicolas Cage. It stars some lady who was doing a lot of work in the 90s whose name I cannot think of right now. Did you recognize that actress? Yeah, but I, I thought it was Laura Linney at first. And then I was like, no, that's not Laura Linney. That's Laura something else. And it wasn't. Hold on. No, she kind of looks was, like I, Laura I, Dern. I, if Laura Dern had aged poorly. Laura Dern, yeah. I had the same. Joely Richardson. What has she been in? Uh, let's see. Nip Talk, Event Horizon. The Patriot, Maggie, um, Christmas Survival. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Fallen Snowden. She was in 101 uh, Dalmatians. Yeah, is that is that the one you remember? Maybe. I don't know. I can't really think of <laughs> any of her characters. I know she's just that lady. I think I might recognize her from Nip Tuck. That might be the role she's most known for, because I'm pretty sure she was a regular on that show. Like, she played one of the, the protagonist's wives or something. Uh, so she's, she's certainly not a bad actress, but she uh, did not age well. <laughs> what a dick, but I agree. <laughs> so uh, in this movie, 
This film is about a family that lives out in the countryside of Massachusetts, uh, New England, you know, H.P. Lovecraft's yeah. home. He's from Providence. He, he went off to New York for a little bit, went crazy because I, there's so many minorities there. And he's a known racist, a known white supremacist. Everybody knows that about H. I mean, that doesn't stop anyone from adapting his works, but yeah, he's got that kind of problem. And interestingly enough, one of the, the leads in this movie seems to be a, a, a black man or a mixed race man who will, and, and you know, we're going to be spoiling the movie, is the lone survivor of the film. I'm not even sure really how he does survive. It felt... Yeah, he he aged a bunch too, right? By the end, he's he had like a salt and pepper goatee for whatever reason and, and like a, a little tight afro. So, but the, the star of this movie is Nicolas Cage and also... Uh, the the girl who plays his daughter in this movie, what, what's her name? Leviathan, old bitch face. It's, <laughs> she has like an old lady, old lady face. Madeline, Mad, Madeline Arthur. Sure, that's the girl from Hereditary, right? No, no, <laughs> it's just another weird looking white girl. Oh, uh, she was in. Uh, Oh, wow. There's a Snowpiercer TV series? Oh, no. Yeah, they're doing that. It's going to be on TNT, so they know drama. Oh. All right. Well, she's... Yeah, her. I I also thought she was someone else. What What's with this movie and getting actors that look like other actors? We're just like, that kind of looks like... Is that... But it's not. She was on the ABC drama The Family and was the daughter of Amy Adams' character in Big Eyes, the Tim Burton film. The one movie he did that wasn't... I mean, it was owned by Disney. I think it was the Weinstein Company that put it out, but it wasn't Disney characters. And then you have Nicolas Cage with a mostly subdued performance here. But that does, of course, change, especially as we get to like the halfway point where he does... Okay, so early on in the film, and I, I would be like, why are they doing this if it wasn't Nicolas Cage? But I have a feeling that the, the director, Richard Stanley, just said, Nick, do whatever you want. We're going to include it regardless. You are who you are. We're not going to try to change you. Just just have fun with it. So he, he has this very reserved father character. And then in the beginning, he just casually does like a voice. It's like a weird 70s New York Woody Allen artsy guy who's supposed to be his father. And then gradually throughout the film, he just starts doing this voice for big chunks of dialogue when he's interacting with the characters after the meteor hit. So you think almost like, is, th- is that doing it? Is that making him do his father's <laughs> voice? But it's, it's not. There's no explanation to it. He just starts talking in this weird no. manner, and there's, no, there's nothing that connects to that. It's just because Nicolas Cage wanted to. Yeah, it's not even, and they could have played on on the alien thing and that make it obvious like that. But no, it just seems like he just decided that for whatever reason at that time. I wonder when they shot it, like what the order of it was, because it's possible that maybe he started with this and then by the end of filming he was just like fuck it, and that's what the beginning of it was, or maybe the opposite where he started with this voice and this character and then forgot about it by the end of it. Did you get the vibe he was doing like a Quentin Tarantino impression? Ooh. Huh. <laughs> I don't know. It was weird. It was just odd. And then one thing that kind of took me out of it a little bit was how at the end he started to pretend to be a good dad or like a protective dad, which he didn't show at all throughout the movie. Uh, when he started, you know, getting angry at his daughter uh, after she did the the whole uh, Evil Dead Necronomicon thing, yeah, she's a Wiccan. You know, she owns a publishing company, I think, and uh, loves the occult and yeah. probably Xanax as well. And Marilyn Manson and this married to a little Jewish. Yeah, uh, well, this 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 character is a familiar character. It's, this is like, I mean, this is like a good one, one eighth of women we, now. Wiccans you know? still? Do you think that's still a thing? Sorry, maybe more like realistically, it's more like one twenty second, but it's like one eighth of women online. 
over 30, 35. I didn't know. Sure. No, just in general. I mean, you see this a lot you, in the Northeast where it's like, for whatever reason, it, it, it's considered uh, interesting or personality trait still? if you wear a satanic medallion. Because that was a thing when I was a young man. I know. And that was a long time ago. I'm aware. So, so I'm, I'm confused as to how that's still a thing. Is that just a Northeast thing? No, it's probably it's probably out west. Is I mean, Portland's likely huge for that. I think it's just a faux rebellion. It's safe rebellion. It's being able to, you know, push push somebody's nose in it and uh, not really have to worry about any kind of repercussions because nobody cares. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. Does anyone give a shit? I uh, the, my last place of employment, we uh, had a coworker that was this. She was like maybe six two. And uh, and uh, a bit on the on the heavier side, and she would always wear like this weird goth dresses that just looked uncomfortable. And where I lived, it's like the hottest part of Costa Rica on that on that on that part. That's not you know part of the beach. So every day she would just show off to work, and it would just be sweat. So it's just this big girl sweating because she had to wear those goth dresses or whatever. Uh, and it just it just seems very inconvenient. It seems very non twenty well twenty nineteen. It was I can't imagine anyone doing it now, uh, but it's it's still kind of weird that there's still those little weekend weekends out there. I guess I think these are just costumes that girls put on to hide their insecurity. Much like you can point to Lena Dunham and girls like her who get these really ratty, awful sailor tattoos all over their body because they don't uh. like their body or they're trying to cover up stretch marks or something right so they do things that are that are drastic like that although i would say obviously uh, becoming a goth is the superior option because you're not putting ink into your skin indefinitely you know so uh that's the the character here that's the the girl but it is a a big family right there's a there's a older brother and a younger brother who would totally be played by Jonathan Lipnicki if this was made. That's... Fuck. That, I couldn't think of that kid's name. And since we started recording, I was like, fuck that kid. That kid was his name. He, was he uh, in uh, My Girl? Or am I thinking of another nerdy kid? No, that was Macaulay was Culkin. That Macaulay. That was Macaulay. Oh, was that Macaulay Culkin? Okay. Yes, but they had a similar look. He was a blonde-haired boy when he was young. And that's that's the kind of... Because he lo- Oh, go ahead. This kid looks just like a like a skinnier Jonathan Nicky. Yes. Who is is like a MMA guy now? Apparently, have you seen him recently? As in, he wears he's MMA like, shirts and shorts to n- let people know. No, that no, he's as, tough. no. I see. As in, he's like a little midget with abs everywhere. No, no, I haven't. I haven't Look seen anything. It's, 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 I thought. Look him up, but yeah, I thought he would just go the way of like Frankie Muniz, where. He gets really skinny and creepy, and his face stays the same, but he starts to go bald, you know? Is that what's happening to my boy Frankie? Yeah, I mean, he was on Dancing with the Stars. I know he he was in a punk band for a while, and he was playing, like, basement shows. I guess his parents spent that money for Malcolm in the Middle. It's fucking depressing. Is every HP Lovecraft story just about people going insane? I, I guess. I guess, yeah. With some supernatural element that makes them go crazy, because I, I haven't read anything of his. I've, I've, I, in the past, I think I read uh, one story about uh, Cthulhu, mm-hmm. and I was like, "This is stupid. This is, <laughs> this is this is too much." And I just sat it down, and I, I decided he was uh, he was too over the top for me. It's written in a very grandiose, like very old timey way, where you have to get past that to. Like if you're able to get past that, you might enjoy it. But it is it is uh, it is a bit jarring at first when you when you start reading it because you I guess you don't really expect that for, because it's uh, it feels like that type of uh, genre of of, uh, of book it's is kind of modern or at least is still kind of relevant even though you know he was everything you said he was but it was talented enough I guess for people to not care. Well, no, it wasn't even that. It was that it was 1908, and that was everybody. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> everybody was, but was naming their cats racial slurs. But still, know? but still, uh, like, has anyone tried to cancel <laughs> uh, H.P. Lovecraft recently? Yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, 
I was too, I, I, I was anticipating this movie. I, I've been looking forward to it for a while, and I decided to tune into a documentary that had originally played on the Sci-Fi Channel about H.P. Lovecraft, but was on YouTube. It was broken up into different bits. And they talk about his legacy, and they frame him as like a scared, fragile white guy who couldn't mm-hmm. couldn't stand the fact that America was changing or whatever. And they do subtly like cancel him in that. So you just call him an incel? Yeah. And honestly, that's, that's kind of what he was up until he got married. He was uh, deathly petrified of women. And, uh, you know, then he met a lady. I think he got divorced to one lady. And then he wound up with another lady and he stuck with her forever. So I don't know. Who, who cares? I mean, he's an old dead, dead author <laughs> yeah. who did, didn't said things that were fit for his time. You know, well, it's like nobody giving a shit about Walt Disney being a, you know, anti-Jew. No, we don't talk about that. Yeah. Unless you want, unless you want death on your doorstep. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, the color out of space is a. I mean, I, I don't know if I would necessarily say this is a consistently entertaining movie, especially considering the fact that again you fell asleep twice during this film, right in the middle. Uh-huh. I I don't think that has much to do with the quality of the movie because I was entertained. It's just, yeah, I'm just old. I'm just dying slowly. Uh, I was entertained throughout, though. Uh, it did feel a little bit long at times, um, especially when when things started happening to them. Like I feel like that was a little bit slow at the beginning, and then once it started going, like it just went too quickly. I don't know if that makes mm. any sense. Uh, but I feel like it took too long to get there. And then once we got there, th- they resolved it very quickly. Um, but I, I was not bored. I, I, visually, it's really interesting. There's a lot of uh, of really cool shots and, and uh, things that they did to uh, creatively show, like the point of view of the bug and, and different things like that that, that uh, were visually interesting. Uh, so I wasn't really bored by it, but it did, it did feel a little bit long at times. Yeah, the visuals in this were fun. You you cited one of the uh, examples that I, I wanted to cite as well, uh, where you're seeing the perspective of the bug. And obviously everything toward the end of the movie with the, the yeah. alien uh, taking effect, and you have almost like a, a fractal effect on everybody as a result of this thing that, yeah. that's just really happening. It's all very cool. But again... Um, you are completely correct in your assessment in that it takes too long to get to that point. There's, there's a lot of character development at the beginning that I'm, and this will be maybe the one instance where I say this, I'm not really sure if we need it because this is not that different of a family than any other family from a movie. The one exception is maybe the Wiccan daughter, you know, and, and, uh, I guess but, Nicolas Cage by default. It's like how how much do we really need to know about the members of this household before everything starts to happen? Yeah, like they try to make you care about them, but they didn't really show you anything that would make you care about them. Uh, their relationship yes. was very normal, was very typical family of, you know, you have the goofy older brother, uh, and then you have the the little nerdy younger brother, and the girl is like rebellious. Or like, you know, doesn't take any book bullshit. She drinks coffee in the morning, you know, so that's, she's that type of character. Um, the one thing that I saw, I thought was kind of odd, though, was that relationship between her and the main, I guess. Well, he's not the main role, but, you know, the... Well, he what, becomes what, the, the protagonist as we move through. I mean, once we're done with the family. And this is this is also a thing, too, where... There's very, I mean, I, I guess how could you do this unless you just started jumping back and forth between whatever's going on in his life and the family's life? And then you would have perhaps more of an inclination of how things are going to turn out. But we don't get much development as far as that character goes. And I'm trying to find his name right now. I believe it is, is he Benny? Or is that the boy? Mm, I don't know. I don't I think know, but I honestly, I honestly don't think he, that character was even necessary. You know, he doesn't really do that much. He He's supposed to be the scientist that is sent there because someone complained about the water, right? Yeah. And then and then he sets up a tent and then he does his little tests. But that this all happens within the first half of the movie. So the only time where you actually see him doing anything is, is that where he, he shows his skills, I guess. And then after that, 
it becomes like a like an odd like he's is he flirting with his young girl and uh, are we supposed to think that she's either 13 or 23 because the mom the mom was perfectly fine with her flirting with this guy that looks to be at least 10 years older than her so that I, was a, I don't know if I would say that I, I mean really the impression the impression I got was she was probably somewhere between 18 19 years old and this kid oh wow was, okay I thought I thought of her more like closer to 14 15 than than that She's got one of those faces. She's she doesn't have the traditional young Hollywood star look where she's got cheekbones or whatever. They're going to age her a little faster. She's still got the pumpkin face, which why yeah. she, she, you know she's got the hereditary kid look, where it's just the moldy pumpkin cheeks and mouth. What I really like doing is talking about the actresses <laughs> and really criticizing their appearances. Yeah, um, he has nothing to do with the quality of the movie or effects at all. <laughs> no, that's my entire basis as to whether or not a movie's worth watching. I like to show up at the theater and go, damn, look at her face. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, but to talk about the character development, they, I mean, they, they don't really give a good enough reason as to why that outside male character, the scientist, would have as much investment in this girl as he winds up having, where I think he's very concerned for her well-being. It's like, you met this girl one time, you talked to her for maybe 15 minutes or less that we've seen, yeah. and you're at a point where you're nearly risking your life to protect her and most of her murdered family. And she, she I mean, she's past the point of saving at, at at that uh, section of the movie, yeah, I, I, again, I, I just don't think that I, I'm not familiar with the story. I don't know if he maybe has a bigger role in the original story where we focus maybe more on his journey or whatever. But it just felt unnecessary, especially because at the end you don't really get much of a of an answer. You just get a oh, cool, he survived. But then I was wondering, Why? so is the is the is the alien entity thing in him now like i was expecting like a little glimmer on his eye or like something pink to show up but nothing and he was just looking at the direction of where the thing happened and i'll tell you what it felt like i've seen this happen before i think with the rum diary which that might have been no it wasn't terry gilliam there's somebody else it was the guy who did with now and i directed the rum diary mm. terry gilliam did fear and loathing and it all it also seemed to be the case with this Guy Pierce movie. The name of it is escaping me, but it was a science fiction film that was like a throwback to '90s action movies. And the endings to these two movies felt oddly tacked on, or rushed, or sloppily put together. With the Rum Diary, you had an ending where Johnny Depp goes off and does something, and I think Amber Heard is the love interest in this movie. And then they just have like an end scroll where it tells you what happened. Oh. Like they, they couldn't finish filming it or something like that. And in this movie, it seems like Richard Stanley maybe wasn't satisfied with the outcome where it's just that male character rising from the rubble and leaving the house. Even though it somehow destroyed everything, it destroyed the aliens, that you know, ear-piercing screech. Mm-hmm. He's fine, though. He doesn't even have blood running from his ears because apparently holding his hands to them was enough. It seemed to me like there were a lot of unanswered questions that maybe that ending would have left you with, and it seemed a bit abrupt. And he decided to shoot this stinger at the end where you have that character looking out to the sunset and the water, and he's talking, and he uses the the title, as you had mentioned while you were watching. And it's really really not, not well done. This is, and I mean, that could also lend itself to the fact that, uh, you know, you would mention that he doesn't look the same as the rest of the movie. He looks a little bit older. Maybe, you know, his appearance changed during that time. Who knows? Who's to say? Maybe they shot it the day of. I have no, I, I have no clue. Them saying the title, though, almost made me really dislike this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a color out of space. Ugh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> when, they do it twice. They do it twice. And the first time they do it, is actually okay because it's Tommy Chong after he's been infected with the alien and his vocal cord kind of has this distorted effect to it. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like he 
you can't even it's really like understand what he's saying. Yeah. So he says color out of, and then it's just like, mm. and that to me works. That's fine. Saying it outright, <laughs> especially after that already happened, is a deal breaker that's, for me. That's earnest dialogue of him just, you know, I'm closing this up. Voiceover. With, yeah. <laughs> voiceover. The narration, a voiceover narration when you're close up on his face looking out to the water. That is unforgivable. Yeah, that, that, uh, phew, I didn't like that. I wish that it didn't. Yeah, the last stinger, like you said, it's just, again, that character was not needed. I think it should have just ended with them dying if that's what he wanted to do. I I don't think we spend enough time with him for us to even care if he dies or not, or the fact that he survived. Like, okay, cool, he survives, and who cares? We're never with him. Like, um, uh, We're only with him when he's trying to save the girl or at the beginning when he's testing the water, which doesn't really come up later. He just shows up later and says, hey, don't drink the water because there's something in it. And that's it. Like nothing else is mentioned about the water anymore. So I'm wondering if there's maybe an extra hour of footage that's left on the cutting room floor. That's just the story of this character, which would make sense as to why we would care about him surviving. Because it's a really weird ending where... I, and, and I don't even remember how, why the, mon- the alien exploded or why the alien did that. But They don't explain it. They because at first, all that at, big. at first, Nicolas Cage shoots the thing, so it kill, he kills it. But then what comes out of the well, it's supposed to be just like a ray. And then it just, I don't know. I'm wondering if there's maybe more of this movie that we didn't see, which would make sense. You know, why this character is even there to begin with. I'm doubtful of that for one reason. Uh, and also, let me throw this at you as an alternative. So I'm doubtful of that because I don't think Richard Stanley makes his first movie in 25 years and has a company go, actually, we want to take off 10 minutes of your movie. I, don't, mm-hmm. I just don't think that's the case. I think the, I, I believe the company is, uh, oh, well, it, it's, uh, I think the name is Spectre Vision, right? It's Elijah Wood's company. Right. And I, think... I can't see Elijah Wood especially, right, right, somebody right. who values story and filmmaking, being one of those guys. Maybe, maybe they did. But I doubt it. Another thing is, I'm fairly confident that there's another H.P. Lovecraft movie that mm-hmm. is coming out in the next year or two. Do you know which one it is? Oof, no, let me check. But uh, they are not, trying... ca- not the remake of Castle Freak. They are trying to do like a shared universe yes. with that, yeah. right? With Nicolas Cage. Well, he's dead. So I was thinking, what if it's this guy who <laughs> pops up? in whatever H.P. Lovecraft movie they have going on. He just does a little cameo, and that's why maybe they have him survive, they shoot the stinger, and th- hmm. that's ultimately the decision they went with. Mm, but then you'd think that if you're going to continue using this character in other movies, you would spend more time with him so that you actually care. Again, he's not really in this for anything other than you know showing up at the end to save the day, but he only saves himself. So I don't know if there's enough for for you to think, oh, yeah, can't wait to see this guy in another spacey cosmic thing, you know? But you also have to take into account the horror audience, the sci-fi audience is not the same as the audience that will show up to an average movie or a Marvel movie where they need all of those preceding films or or some kind of comic book that's going to really make the most out of his character and make him a big star in order to follow along or, or check something out, you know? Like you have characters from slasher films that carry over into other ones and pop right. up three sequels later, and they're very minor characters a lot of the time. But it doesn't matter because the horror audience recognizes that, and there's a respect there, I guess. Hmm. So I don't know if you necessarily need Nick Cage to sign on to every one of these. You might find yourself in a situation where it's like Universal's Dark, Universe <laughs> that they had been planning. Yep. You know, like- where you have to have Tom Cruise in the first one and you're setting up Russell Crowe and then you're going to have all these other people and, you know, you, you have to have Van Helsing show up in four of them. No. Yeah. And, and Getting too ahead of yourself. And then the first one bombs and it's dead. Exactly. I'll tell you who got the best deal out of anybody in the Marvel Universe is Jeff Bridges. I'm sure he gets a residual check on everything Iron Man. 
you know, he, what he did, he did one movie. He shows up. Well, he also dies. did. He also did uh, Guardians too. No, 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 no. That was Kurt Russell. Oh yeah, that's true. Fuck, that's right. Oh yeah, so he's just that ba- the bad guy for half an hour of a movie, and and that's it. Right, and this was before they started locking people into multiple film contracts. So, yeah, I, I are they maybe planning this? I mean. I don't see what the point of that would be considering anybody can pick up H. I mean, and maybe that's something cool that could be interesting uh, is the fact that anyone can do an HP Lovecraft film and join in on this universe or whatever, officially or unofficially. But I, I don't says, know if this guy would be worth following as you were it's, saying. Yeah. It's, it says here that um, it's uh, Elijah Wood and Daniel Noah are the producers. And apparently they're in the early stages of adapting uh, the Dunwich Horror, okay. with which also Richard Stanley. Oh, Richard Stanley is going to tackle that one as well. So I'm assuming it's depending on how well this movie does, because the, if, it's, if they're attaching him to it and it's you know the same people, uh, the same production company, that would be the implication. Yeah, but there was another one that that had nothing to do with Richard Stanley that I think they're trying to connect it to. That's see. coming Wasn't out that... already. That's not in pre-production. Is that no Castle Rock? Castle Rock. No, that's uh, Barkhad Abdi trying to sell land in Stephen King's town. Castle Freak is owned right now by Fangoria, and they're shooting that, I think, in Romania. Okay. So, uh, that is based off an H.P. Lovecraft property, but that has nothing to do with, with this, this one. With, it was some other movie. With this shared universe. I'm I'm really surprised that people have not taken advantage of the fact that it's... Um, what do you call it? A public, public domain? domain? Yeah. Kirsten Stewart movie, the underwater movie. Ends with Cthulhu, right? Yeah. You just spoiled that. You just spoiled that. that. <laughs> okay. Has anybody seen that movie? TJ Miller makes another flop. That's how I look at that film. That one? I actually am interested just because of that and because I'm terrified of the ocean. But yeah. Um, Something like that would completely ruin the movie for me because Cthulhu's a giant octopus squid demon devil with wings if i'm in a movie where i think it's gonna be like cloverfield and i see like sea realistic creatures swimming around they got tentacles it's like it's jaws but with uh, yeah octopi or something and then all of a sudden i see cthulhu just show up at the end what if cthulhu showed up in deep blue sea what if that was the end of that movie and you see a giant monster with wings hanging out in the water that would be terrible that would ruin the whole film I don't know. That sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. That mo- I'll tell you what. Deep Blue Sea is great because it's one of the only horror movies in history where there are two male survivors and no female survivors. You have Thomas Jane and LL Cool J growing out at the end. And all the women die. Oh, yeah. This is that's a very misogynistic the... podcast. That's... Here, but... <laughs> On your part, I, I still love women. Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, so H.P. Lovecraft, uh, Arkham Sanitarium, that's one that's coming out this year. Uh, Colonizer. Um, there's a... Uh, yeah. Witch House, The Deep Ones, and Vertical. Those are 2020. Does any of those sound familiar? Are those all produced by the Asylum? Because that's what they all sound like to me. They don't sound very official. <laughs> well, it could be. It could be any of those. Are any of them produced by Spectre Vision? Um, n- no. This one has a uh, Stephen Daz as the main character. So. Who? Who? Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Some some guy. Um, let's see. You know He's who in... they need to get? They need to get Steven Weber from Wings. Wow, what a callback. <laughs> he, was, he was Jack Torrance in the Shining miniseries for ABC. He's, you know what? He's a good actor, but he never should have done that movie. Steven Weber. Who is that? I just told you. He, he was on Wings and he was in The Shining for ABC. Was it the main guy for Wings with the floppy hair? I believe so. Wait. Yeah. Oh, what the fuck happened to him? He was good. He ha- he has that weird like. You know the guy that plays uh, Red Skull in the Captain America movies, Hugo Weaving. Yeah, kind of looks like him. I don't know if maybe I've I'm seen just being that. racist or just white men. 
<laughs> he's uh he's doing pretty good. He's um oof. Um he he was in uh 13 Reasons Why. He plays a principal there, so that's All right, that you know what? That's not that bad. Yeah, he was in Ballers, 8 episodes. Okay. He was in the Get Shorty TV series. <laughs> um All right, so scoop. he's not he's not down on his luck. As far yeah. as the Hugo Weaving comparison, though, I mean, that's difficult to say because Hugo Weaving is balding and Stephen Weber has like a Farrah Fawcett style hairdo. Full head of hair, yeah. How do you compare the two? There's, I mean, I, I don't see that at all. I don't know. I guess it's that, that kind of reptilian looking face that, you know, with a very pointy, uh, very pointy uh, cheekbones and, and nose, very Jokerish, you know? I, I suppose. I, I guess I could see that. Yeah. Got, yeah. Like older guys who haven't fattened up. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Willem Dafoe type. 